0: Welcome to Mount Olympus, if you are here, then it is by no mistake, you have chosen to journey from the illusion below, and ascend to the truth above, all praise the trinity, mind, body, and soul. Welcome to episode one of the Olympus podcast. I'm your host, Black Apollo, and today we'll be talking about UFOs. <laughs> now, not unidentified flying objects or those alien spacecrafts that people swear they see in the sky. We're talking about unsatisfying friendships and options. Much like UFOs, they can appear in the spaces of our life and cause all types of trauma and confusion. We're gonna show you what I'm gonna show you today is how to turn that to your benefit. And first to turn that to your benefit, we have to understand space itself. Uh more over sacred space, your sacred space. And what I mean by that is it's the immediate and personal realm of your life. Every event and person that occupies a room in your sacred space has an effect on you. Your sacred space can only be open to those who you allow entering. But sometimes um, you're born with people in your sacred space, your mother, your family, situations like that. But the importance of discernment cannot be stated enough. The influences and inhabitants of your ah, (laughs) your sacred space can uplift you or send you into a downward spiral. In life, we inevitably encounter people in situations which may not at face value have the best effect on us at all. The grueling job, the toxicity of a relationship, and even dysfunctional families. Some of us have to deal with all three, and by nature, they each live in our sacred space. The skies of our life are filled with beautiful stars. They shine peace into our hearts, but it's opposites. There are also chaotic energies that swarm through the spaces of our minds, and these are UFOs, unsatisfying friendships and options. Now... One of the many theories about aliens visiting Earth is that if they ever crash, there's a benefit to be had. You know, in those pop culture movies, you see that we can take the foreign and frightening thing and use its parts to advance our own technology and quality of life. Simply by examining the elements piece by piece, we can use their functions as our own. This process is called reverse engineering. Negative situations are the same really because... When they happen to us initially, the experience can be traumatic, but as time moves forward, we can look backward upon it. Not only can we look back, but we can also alter our perception of the event to produce a better influence in the present. What you believe determines what you can see. I'm a firm believer of that statement. You know, if you believe that the breakup you went through was nothing but a tragedy, then you will surely only see a world of tragedy around you. Sorry, tragedy. Love will be a dangerous thing for you at all times. I've seen people scarred this way. Um, They look at love like it's some type of disease or infection that they want to avoid because of a bad encounter they had with it. Um, It's hard to talk to those type of people, but I pray that if you're one of those people, that you will at least listen long enough to hear me out so that I can help you, so that I can give you some advice regarding that. But there's another type of person. The opposite, for the person who can review his heartbreak or her heartbreak and discover the lessons to be learned amid the pain, they have found gold where others only claim cold to be present. The truth is nothing is ever entirely useless or negative. It's only how you perceive it that that determines its worth to you. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And in my own life, I develop a way which by even the most hurtful of experiences, given time, of course, can be used for my benefit. This process is based on believing and operating from three principles. If you can come to embrace and believe in them, your perception will change, allowing you to see the bigger picture, allowing you to take control of your sacred space. And they follow like this. Motivation is more important than the promise. I'm going to say that again. That's principle number one. The motivation is more important than the promise. Principle number two. Most people are rarely in control of themselves. Number three, good and evil are relative to the observer. Hmm. So understanding and accepting these three principles will bring a new light into view. Most of the disappointments we encounter stem from our expectations. The higher and more unrealistic an expectation, the greater the level of dissatisfaction when it's not met. It's like you're asking someone to climb Mount Everest and they go no further than the beginning. Like you really just stepped on one puddle of snow, on one mound of snow, and you you haven't really even scaled the side of the mountain yet. You know, the remaining goal that's left is incomplete, and that incompletion inspires disappointment. This is where the first principle comes into play, right? So, first one. The motivation is more important than a promise. Behind every action is an intention. Behind every intention is a drive, a motivation. The stronger the motivation, the more likely the action will come to pass. Commitments are easily spoken, but it takes effort to uphold them. And promises are only vessels, right? They're these empty containers waiting for energy to fill them. And a lot of us have allowed ourselves to take people at their word. And that's something you should never do. Ever. Why? Because... Because to take organizations, political figures, partners, and friends that face value, don't get me wrong, trust is a beautiful thing, but beautiful things have to be earned and not freely given. The value of trust should only be exchanged with an equal value of loyalty. Everything that exists in the world works based on an exchange. This is the cornerstone of life itself. This makes motivation an important factor. And I can promise you that I'll always be there for you, right? Well, let me rephrase that. I myself can promise you that I'll always be there for you. And the words that I say may slide easily off the tongue and feel pleasant to your ears. But what really matters is my motivation and commitment. That's what will determine if those words will be hollow or fulfilled. Always, always keep an eye on how motivated someone is while performing a task. Then compare it to their demeanor when completing a task for you. You'll see how to adjust your expectations. And by doing so, decrease your disappointment, even if the promise is kept. Now, there are promises and there's the quality of the promise. You know, the quality of that promise relies on their motivation as well. Two people. With two different levels of motivation will give you different results. The lover has more intention, concentration, and awareness in their actions. The other may simply be trying to get through by doing the bare minimum. You can imagine your satisfaction will also change depending on the quality of the promise and not just the promise being completed. Therefore, it's not just the action, it's what's behind it that truly matters. A rocket, take a rocket for example. It's so huge and marvelous, and it's just this beast of a thing that is, is damn near a physical metaphor. Its physical presence is almost metaphorical. It inspires visions of flight and freedom and reaching the stars and, and the future. But the truth is that without the fuel inside of it and the fire behind it, it is inspiring but useless. And some people mean well, they have the best intentions, they have the best rapport, they have the best, you know, want to do something for you, Mm, but it's just words. And if you ever encountered somebody like that, it's just like that metaphor. You know, you look amazing. Your presence alone inspires me. But the truth is your actions, they speak louder than your words. All you have to do is listen. But in most cases Which brings me to uh, (laughs) number two, principle number two. In most cases, most people are rarely in control of themselves. In between feeling and reaction is understanding. Or in the best cases, it should be because we don't always try to understand when we react. But awareness is key when responding to a situation, especially so when when responding to UFOs. Imagine awareness as a circle hovering over a picture. You can only see as much as the picture that's inside of that circle. And the smaller your circle, it's going to be the less you see of the picture. The bigger the circle, the more you're able to see. The picture represents life or at least the events within it, you know, everyday occurrences. The same situation can have a different effect on people depending on, let's see, the scope of their awareness. The large or if it's larger or if it's smaller. Your control comes from your ability to analyze before you respond off that. I'm going to say that one more time. Your control comes from your ability to analyze before you respond. The more information you have available to you, the better the analysis, which leads to a better reaction. On the opposite end, the less information you have, the poorer your response. Some people have a bad habit of assuming they understand all the details when they don't. A lot of us do it. I I guarantee that everyone, everyone that's listening, everyone in the world has done this at one time or another. You know, it's just a human fault, but we can overcome it. There are a lot of negative interactions that aren't completely personal. For example, when you work, (laughs) when a person you work with rubs you the wrong way, it could have been something they said or maybe just the overall vibe they're giving off. Normally, you have no problem with this person, but for some reason today, it's different. They lash out at you and undermine your work in front of others midday. That's the event. That's the occurrence. This is the part of the situation you cannot control. But this flows into the part that you can, your reaction. Now, we're going to run through two scenarios. All right. So we got the bad example and the good example. So first, I'm going to do the bad example. You talk to your coworker, you're working, you're exchanging uh, information about something and the way that they're addressing you and the way that they're talking to you is really rough. It's antagonistic. You know, those situations where you hear people talk, but it's almost as if they're speaking another language with their body and the way that they're pronouncing their words and the enunciation that they're giving you. It's like almost a attitude, you know? And so you go about your day trying to never mind it and focus on yourself and then all of a sudden something happens. And they snap on you, yelling at you in front of everybody, in front of all your coworkers, calling you names, saying you don't do this, you don't do that, that they can do this, that they can do that. And that there's just so much built up anger that they're releasing on you right now. They're calling you out your name. They're addressing you in front of everybody. You're just really trying to work. You're really trying to stay on task because the day is as stressful on you as it is for everybody else. You know, everybody has to carry a load, but now in the midst of carrying that load, they decide to snap off on you. Now, the bad example, you snap off back. <laughs> you give them the same exact energy that they gave to you. You know, they call you out your name, you call them out their name, and you get them riled up as well. That same antagonistic and anger and and, and mean and just negative energy that they're presenting to you, you respond it with the same You know, you even go so far as to tell them that, (laughs) tell them something way worse than what they said to you, just so you feel like you have the upper hand. You know, you've been working hard, you've been doing what you need to, and this person wants to come out of nowhere and completely just try to put you off, try to call you out, try to be, you know, just irate, you know, for lack of a better word, and you respond by being the same now that's the bad example. The good example? Let's run through it again. This person, you're working, working, working papers or scanning items or, or picking up a call or in a meeting, whatever is your forte, this person snaps, "Boom, da 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 da, ya ya, this that, this, that, you know, just talking out of the side of their neck. And what, what do you do in this situation? You pause. And you observe what's being directed at you is anger and you're not going to respond back with it. But instead, you're trying to understand where it's coming from. All day, you've been working, focusing on your tasks with a logical mind and you realize that you've been finding solutions to each of those tasks logically all day. So why should this be any different? Because it's a person, because it's another human being addressing you. That makes no difference. There is a problem and there is a solution. And if you can take this moment to avoid being part of the problem, naturally you become a part of the solution. You understand that there's a bigger picture to what's going on. You have a limited exposure to this person during the week. Or maybe you don't. But whatever is the case, you understand that there are other variables at play to what what might be making them irate or mad or angry. And so you take that into consideration, and without understanding, you don't have to respond with their same energy. Now, whether or not you choose to verbally respond to what they're saying, it's not going to be um, to antagonize them. It's not going to be to hurt them. You simply look at them, observe their behavior, and you you note it. Maybe you want to walk away. Maybe you want to speak a few words apiece. If you do speak a word, few words apiece. It's kind of hard to do that in such an escalated situation, but in the case that you do, you choose your words wisely. You meet ignorance with wisdom. You meet anger with understanding. And then you go about your day. Now, the difference is night and day between both cases. In scenario one, instead of exercising control, you allow yourself to be manipulated by the energy of the situation. Your awareness is poor and your reaction is even poorer. The cycle continues and no clear resolution is found. You have sacrificed peace of mind just to be in a war with this person. And how did you justify it? Based on your emotions. The important thing to remember is that emotions are temporary and ever changing. Always moving around, always coming in, always flowing out. How you feel in the moment will not last. And in most cases, you can cause permanent damage by acting out of a temporary emotion. Most people are rarely in control of themselves. They are subject to the storm of emotions they receive from other people and even their thoughts. Scenario one is a very common occurrence. It happens all the time. It may not necessarily be at your workplace. It may not necessarily be in that environment or that context, but this exchange happens. It's unavoidable sometimes, and sometimes it is, but I'm giving you the tools that when it does happen, you can make the smarter decision. We have a breakdown of communication in our society, and in most instances, we are polarized and refuse to grant any respect or credit to the other side. America is mostly a red and blue nation, and the people suffer from the lack of empathy and understanding that inspires. You know, and with that being said, what I mean by red and blue is that you know not necessarily just democratic and republic, but that pay that plays a big part into it. You're polarized, and by polarized, you're put on one side, and when you're put on one side, you can't help but feel you can't help but feel attacked when the other side says how they feel, because it's so counter to what you believe. You damn near feel like somebody's trying to attack you, trying to assault your beliefs, but that's not the case. Everybody is different, and if you're, uh, if you're capable of understanding that, then you're capable of going with scenario number two. And that brings me to the final principle. Good and evil are relative to the observer. Unsatisfying friendships and options can be unavoidable sometimes. Some uncomfortable experiences are necessary for growth. For the calipiter to end its days of crawling and realize its dreams of flight, it must go within itself and transform. This is true for us. It involves isolation, stillness, transformation, and breaking free from past cycles. It is within this cocoon that we really find this process occurring. Trials that we must learn and situations that we must face that seem negative are really for our benefit. Loss is just as important as love. Joy cannot be appreciated without the understanding of pain. And success would have no foundation without the lessons learned from failures. The final and arguably most important principle is that good and evil are relative to the observer. And I'm repeating that again because I want you to really soak that principle in. Because most of your life is based on what you deem to be good and what you deem to be evil, what you deem to enjoy and what you deem to avoid. And that shapes your experience. There isn't a universal good or evil, though. This is true even for the entire nation. One country's hero is another person's is another country's war crimes. The way you were raised and the experiences you have collected. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking about it now. In my own childhood, just the things that I've learned and the things that I was raised to say and raised to emulate shaped my view of the world, you know, to a certain extent. And sometimes you have to unlearn those things when they become unhealthy or toxic or they simply no longer suit you for your growth. Um, (laughs) But... In a limited amount of time that you have, you want to make the most of it. And not just physically, not just emotionally, but also mentally and spiritually. And realizing that good and evil are relative to the observer, you can put things in the right context and come to a different solution as everybody else. Um, That's the case for every human being alive. And it's by understanding this last principle that you realize we create our own UFOs. Every unsatisfying friendship and option is perceived that way due to our beliefs. The truth is that both love and heartbreak have the same potential to build or destroy you. (laughs) The heart and mind can become stronger and more vigilant from the lessons learned from pain. Love can manipulate a person into harming others, all for the preservation of their desires. That's domestic abuse. A lot of people say if you love me, you wouldn't hit me. But you'll be surprised how love can twist an insecure person. But I say that to say that all is neutral until we apply that filter. Even in the Bible, it has a scripture that says, Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved over the waters. Both light and dark are needed in creation. That is the essence of harmony, yin and yang. It is my belief that if the Creator, no matter how you see them, no matter what religion, what faith, or what sect you come from, can use the formless dark in the process of creating beauty, then so can we. Here on Olympus, I have discovered that perspective is a divine trait. If you can meditate, think, or even pray on these three principles, then you can become an alchemist, turning the lead of life into the gold of the soul. Thank you for listening. All praise the Trinity. Mind body and soul.